Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Inshallah, we're ready to go and all will be well, inshallah. So the Imam, he says today, Imam al-Hajjawi in Zad al-Mustaqna, Faslun fi ahkam al-Imama. He's talking about a chapter pertaining to the rulings, pertaining to the Imam, who the Imam can be and uh, what factors are going to be required for a person to be the Imam. So he says, الْأُولَى بِالْإِمَامَةِ الْأَقْرَأُ الْعَالِمُ فِقْهَ صَلَاتِهِ That the one who is preferred first and foremost to be an Imam is the one who has who is الْأَقْرَى الْأَقْرَى الْعَالِمُ The one who has most knowledge of the Qur'an and the fiqh of the Salah. So this is something which is recommended because in the hadith in Sahih Muslim, Abi Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu said that the Prophet said, Ya Ummul Qawm, aqra'ahum li kitabillahi ta'ala. That the one who should lead the people in Salah is the aqra, the one who has the most knowledge or the most hifth, or it's also you know, explained as the one who recites the best with regards to the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَإِنْ كَانُوا فِي الْقِرَاءَةِ But if two people both want to be Imam, and they have the same amount of knowledge of the Qur'an بِالسُنَّةِ Then we look to the one who is most knowledgeable pertaining to the Sunnah of the Prophet And if they happen to also be as well as being the same in the Qur'an ability they are the same in the Sunnah ability Then we look to فَأَقْدَمُهُمُ الْحِجْرَى Then those who made Hijrah first And it doesn't have to, it's all understood that the Hijrah which is still available today, meaning that hijrah from lands of disbelief and lands of shirk to lands of tawheed and lands of obedience, right? And if they happen to be in hijrah at the same level, meaning they made hijrah at the same time, that we can't distinguish who is the earliest of them. Then we look to the one who is the eldest in age. So these are the categories or these are the things that the Prophet ﷺ stated with regards to trying to choose who should be the Imam. So most of the Hanbali scholars, including Ibn Qudama, Al-Majd Ibn Taymiyyah, the grandfather of Ibn Taymiyyah, Imam Al-Bahuti and others, they hold that the Aqra, the one who has the most right with the Qur'an, the most knowledge of the Qur'an, is the one who is most proficient in recitation of the Qur'an. So they don't hold it that he has to be the one who has memorized the Qur'an the most. They say rather it's the most proficient in terms of the one who can recite it with the correct tajweed and the correct pronunciation of the letters of the Quran, etc. Why? Because in Kishaf al-Qina min matlan al-Qina of Imam Bahuti, rahimahullah ta'ala, he collects an author from Umar and Abu Bakr radiyallahu anhuma, where they said, "Arab al-Quran ahabu ilayna min hifti ba'du hurufihi." That to express the Quran in the correct manner, meaning to recite it in the correct manner with the tajweed and the correct pronunciation, is more beloved to us than memorizing parts of it. So what they would put first, the Sahaba, is the one who could actually recite it with tajweed and correct pronunciation, above and beyond the one who has more uh, heft, more memorization of the Qur'an. And others in the madhab, they held the opposite. They held that rather it's the one who memorizes most of the Book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In any case, our Imam, he said, that the one who should be given preference in terms of leading the Salah is the one who is Aqra. And Aqra, as we said, has two meanings. It can be the one who pronounces the best via Tajweed and the Makharij, 
or it could be the one that has most memorization in the terms of the amount of the Quran memorized. Okay. The next thing that the author he mentions, he says, Thumma al-Afqah. And then after that is the one who has most fiqh of the salah. The one who has most fiqh of the salah. So if the two people who want to lead the salah are in the same having the ability with regards to recitation and memorization of the Quran, depending which way you look at it, then we look to the one who knows most regarding the fiqh, the rulings of the prayer. He knows the arkan, he knows the wajibat, he knows what to do when he makes a mistake with regards to sujood al-sahwa, etc. He knows how to line the people up behind him and these major issues pertaining to the fiqh of the salah. Then the author, he says, ثم الأسن If the people are the same in terms of recitation of the Qur'an, they're the same in terms of having uh, knowledge of the fiqh pertaining to the salah, then we look to al-asan. Asan is the one who is foremost in age because in the hadith in Bukhari and Muslim of um, Malik ibn Hawayrith, the Prophet said, If the salah comes upon you, then one of you should make the adhan, and the one that should lead you in the salah is the eldest from amongst you. So if everybody is the same in the previous issues, we look to the one who is the eldest. And if it be the case that then we still cannot distinguish between the two who want to lead the salah, then we look to the next thing, which the author, he says, ثُمَّ الْأَشْرَفُ Then the one who is Ashraf. Ashraf, you can translate it as being the one who is more honored. But here they mean in terms of Nasab. Nasab meaning the lineage of the person. We look to the lineage of the person. And as Sheikh Fahad al-Mutiri said, when they refer to lineage, they mean that the person, if he's from the tribe of the Prophet the Qurayshi tribe, he is given preference above and beyond others. So we look to the lineage in order to distinguish between the people who want to be Imam. Uh, Ibn Taymi rahimahullah ta'ala from amongst the Hanbali scholars, he said that actually this issue has no place with regards to choosing who should be given preference with regards to rituals of the religion. Rather, it's based solely on the one which is going to be ne uh, mentioned next. Uh, and this was mentioned in the explanation of Sheikh uh, Ahmed Khalil. So the next thing the author mentions is Then you look to the person who is the most pious, the one who has the most taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because Allah said in the Quran, that the one who are most preferred from uh, most honored in the sight of Allah are the ones who have most taqwa. And this is the um, this is the justice and fairness of Islam. It's not to do which tribe you're from. It's not to do the which country you're from. It's rather to do with your taqwa. How much piety do you have, and how much ability do you have in the religion in terms of reciting, in terms of uh, knowledge of the Deen, and uh, recitation of the Quran, etc. And if it happens to be that still we cannot distinguish between who can lead the prayer because everybody has the same qualities. Then we do the next step, which is the Imam, he said, Then we ask them to draw lots. Okay, so this is done in situations where people, uh, each of them has a claim to a right and we cannot give the right to both of them. So we want to distinguish between them and the only way we can do so is by drawing, drawing lots. And the drawing of the lots, it doesn't have to be uh, by pulling something out of a bag or pulling out uh, arrows and seeing which one is the longest etc. It can be done in any which way 
that the cultural norm of the people is that which the people are used to doing is that which they can do for drawing the lots and the author he says وَسَاكِنُ الْبَيْتِ وَإِمَامُ الْمَسْجِدِ أَحَقِّ that the owner of the house and the imam of the masjid have more right than those that we previously mentioned before them so even if somebody comes to your house and they have a lot of knowledge they've memorized Quran and they they, they're famous for the recitation of Quran etc but when they're in your house as long as you have the ability to recite Surah Al-Fatiha it is you that has the right to lead the Salah okay so the person who is the owner of the house and also the imam of the masjid uh, their rights supersede everybody else's rights that have been previously mentioned with regards to leading the Salah the author he says إِلَّا مَنْ ذِي سُلْطَانِ إِلَّا مِنْ ذِي سُلْطَانِ and with regards to the Muslim leader he supersedes and overrides everybody else other than him so if the Muslim leader comes to your house it's not you that has the right it's the Muslim leader that has the right to lead the Salah or if the Muslim leader comes to a particular masjid we cannot say that the Imam is going to lead the Salah rather it's given to the Muslim leader as long as he's able to recite Surah Al-Fatiha which is quite problematic in this day and age because I'm sure many of them are unable to do so but Allah knows best so the Muslim leader he has the overall right as mentioned by Imam Al-Hajjawi then the author he mentions he's going to mention now that uh, if these characteristics are found in a person uh, they take preference over the opposite of them I'll explain this a bit more once we go through the text he says the hur is the free person and the hadir is that one is the one that lives in a city or a town in a Medina okay or a Asima and then the one who is resident and the one who is able to see the Basir and the one who is circumcised and the one that has more clothing in terms of covering the, the needs of the aura is preferred to those who are opposite to them so with regards to for example where he said the one that lives in a town if there is a group of people and you have one who is a hadir wants to be imam and there is one who is a bedouin he lives amongst the bedou he lives away from the township then the preference is going to be given to the one who is hadir because the hadir in general will have more knowledge of the deen than the one who is a bedou living far away from the towns and the cities and also for example the one who has uh, the ability to cover his aura and to cover his head and to beautify himself is going to be given preference to the one who is unable to cover his aura or who can cover his aura but doesn't have enough clothing to beautify himself so any of these that were mentioned if they are found with their opposites then the preference is given to those that were mentioned in the text of the imam the author he says and the prayer is not valid if you pray behind a fasiq meaning it's not valid for you to take as an imam a person who is a fasiq and fisq comes from the linguistic meaning of having left having come out of something so here it means having left and having come out of the obedience to Allah of, to Allah azawajal, either from acts of worship or from beliefs which are you know beliefs of shirk kufr and major acts of innovation so if a person is known to be far away from practicing Islam or is known to hold beliefs which are not acceptable to Islam 
then this person is never put forward in terms to be uh, an imam for the people. So there's two situations pertaining to the fasiq. The first of them is in generally leading the salah. So we're not allowed to pray behind him. And uh, even if it means that we pray in our houses, we don't pray behind the fasiq if that is the only imam that we can find to pray behind. So the fasiq is not prayed behind. But a second situation pertaining to the fasiq is if that the fasiq is one who is a leader of the Muslims or somebody who is deputized to be a leader of the Muslims and is put forward to pray the Eid Salah or the Jummah Salah. Okay, and then the Muslims have to pray behind the Imam in this situation. The one, the Imam normally in a Muslim country, in a Muslim Khilafah is the one that leads the Salah uh, for Eid or for Jummah. And if this be the case, even if he is a Fasiq, then the Muslims, they have to pray behind the Imam in this situation. The author, he says, kafir, like a Kafir, meaning to say that the Kafir, praying behind the Kafir is obviously going to be a void Salah. And that is whether you knowingly pray behind the Kafir or you unknowingly pray behind the Kafir. So it could be that somebody prays behind the person and didn't know that this person actually holds beliefs which take him out of the fold of Islam. Or he's originally a non-Muslim just pretending to be a Muslim. And you find out later on, then it means that that particular prayer would have to be repeated. Okay, so it's not allowed behind the Kafir. The author says, Nor is it allowed to be prayed behind a woman. Because in Sahih Muslim and the hadith of Abu Hurairah anhu, the Prophet وسلم, said, That the best of the rows for the men, for the males in the masjid, are the first of them, and the worst of them are the furthest uh, from the first. And the worst of the rows for the women are the foremost of them, the ones that which are closest to the Imam, and the best of them are the ones that are further away from the Imam. So the author, he says, And not to pray behind the woman, and one of the evidences used is this particular hadith. How is this an evidence to support what the author is saying? My question to yourselves. Okay, basically the ulama, what they're referring to here is that because if you put the woman in front of the men, it's going to be a situation that is opposing the hadith. Because the hadith is saying that the women should be behind the men, they should be furthest away from the imam. And logically speaking also, I mean for a woman to have to make ruku and to make sujood in front of men who are not her mahram is something which is, you know, not respectful and not, uh, not uh, you know, befitting for a woman to do. However, some of the ulama, they say, the Hanbali scholars, they say it's allowed in the nafal salah, like a taraweeh, if the woman is leading uh, men who are her mahram, men that she cannot be married to. In any case, the author, he moves on and he says, وَلَا خُنْثَ لِلْرِجَالِ And nor can the khuntha, uh, the, one who's, um, the ones whose private parts are not clearly distinguished, or the one who is khuntha al-mushkil. The khuntha al-mushkil is the one that has both private parts. Okay, either has both private parts in terms of male or female, or has characteristics which are overriding and competing with each other. It's not clear whether the person is a man or a woman. So the khuntha is not um, permitted to lead the men. And um, the question is why? They say because maybe this khuntha, which is leading the men, 
uh, would turn out to be a woman and obviously then this goes against the, uh, the fiqh of the hadith that we mentioned previously that the woman cannot lead the salah but a question to yourselves is that they allowed the untha the, the khuntha, they allow the khuntha, the one whose um, privates are both or mixed. Uh, why is this person allowed to lead women in salah? Uh, think about this point and answer please. Why is this person, the khuntha, allowed to lead women in the salah? Question to yourselves. Barakallah, ahsant, exactly. So it could be the situation that this khuntha turns out to be a woman and then her leading the women in prayer is absolutely fine. And even if the khuntha turns out to be a man, then in any case, men can lead women uh, uh, with a few issues. But men can lead women and the salah would be correct in that situation. Very good. Jazakallah khair. <clears throat> the author, he says, وَلَا صَبِيٍ لِبَالِغٍ And nor is it permissible for a sabi, for the one who is under the age of puberty, uh, who is not baligh, to lead a baligh in salah. So this is pertaining to the fard salah. However, if it's a nafal salah, an optional prayer, then it's allowed. Why? Because they say that the uh, prayer of the one who is a sabi, who is not baligh, in his book of deeds, for him, it's a nafal prayer anyway. So for him to lead other people in nafal salah would be permissible because for himself, it's a nafal prayer. Whereas if he was to lead people in fard salah, that's not permitted because for him, it's a nafal salah. And for him to lead those of a higher category, which is fard, is not permitted. Uh, Ibn Taymiyyah from uh, the Hanbali scholars, he said it's permitted in both uh, fard and nafal. Why? Because in Bukhari, Amr ibn Salama, he used to lead his people whilst he was uh, at the age of eight. So according to Ibn Taymiyyah's opinion, it's not an issue if the person is not, hasn't reached the age of balugh, as long as the person has fiqh of the salah, and he's able to recite the Qur'an and has more Qur'an than others around him, he's able to lead. But our author, he said, no, he can only lead in the nafal salah uh, and he cannot lead people who are baligh in the obligatory salah. The author, he says, also a person who cannot lead the salah, cannot be an imam, is wala akhras, the one who is unable to speak, obviously, because if he's unable to speak, he's unable to recite, and therefore he cannot lead those who have the ability uh, behind him. The author says, Neither if a person is unable, has the inability to make ruku or sujood or qu'ud. Okay, so here the author, he mentioned these things, but uh, Sheikh Ahmed Khalil, he said, this is just an example. It's not limited to this. In fact, it means any wajib if the person can't do it or any rukun if the person can't do it or any shart, any condition, if the person is able to unable to fulfill those then he should not be he cannot be put forward as an imam especially if uh, others behind him uh, are able to fulfill those conditions ibn taymiyyah he said it's allowed because the imam is excused for not having the ability and these issues which he is excused in doing so are not held above the person being aqra and afqa etc that we said Aqra is the one who has the more ability of memorization and pronunciation with Tajweed and Afqa has more uh, ability with regards to the fiqh of the Salah and Atqa having more piety. So if the person has these things, even if he's unable to do these obligations or wajibat, then the person can still be put as an Imam according to Ibn Taymiyyah. Whereas our author and the Hanbali scholars in general, 
They said, no, if the person is unable to do this arkan, like the ruku and the sujood, then the person cannot be put forward as an imam. The next thing the author, he says, he says, aw qiyam. This aw qiyam, meaning all standing, okay, uh, Sheikh Ahmed Khalil, he mentioned that in the tahqiq of the matan of Zad al-Mustaqni, in, um, in the checking and the correction of the various transcripts of uh, Zad al-Mustaqni, it, became, it, was, it came to be known that this part qiyam is put with this sentence and not with the previous sentence. It's put with what I'm mentioning now because it pertains particularly to this mas'ala and not to the mas'ala before. This will come clear in a few moments, inshallah. So, O qiyam, illa imam al-hay al-marju zawal illatihi. If a person cannot make qiyam, then he cannot be prayed behind either, except in the case of the one who is the imam of a locality. He's the imam of the locality in a local masjid and his inability to stand is hope that it will soon go so it's not a permanent inability okay it's hope that soon it will be uh, it will disappear this is the one which is overlooked okay for the imam in this situation the one who is the imam of the locality imam al-hay and his uh, it's hope that his uh, sickness which is preventing him from being able to stand will go soon then this person is allowed to still lead in the salah even though he has the inability to stand. Whereas other than him, if, he, if they don't have the inability to stand, then the, it's not overlooked for them. طيب. The author, he says, And it's recommended in the situation where the Imam of the locality, Imam Al-Hay, is unable to stand, then the people, they pray behind him, sitting down, and this is recommended, it's not obligatory that they pray behind him sitting down. Because in Bukhari and Muslim from the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha, she said that the Prophet sallallahu when he was injured, he prayed sitting down. And then people behind him, they were praying, standing up. So the Prophet sallallahu he realized that the people behind him were praying standing up whilst he was praying sitting down. So he made a gesture with his hands for them to pray sitting down. And when he finished the salah, he turned to them and he said, That verily the imam has been made to be followed. So if he makes the ruku, then you guys should also make the ruku. And when he raises himself up from the ruku, then raise yourself up from the ruku. And if he pray sitting down, then all of you should pray sitting down. So the point that the author is mentioning that with regards to the situation of the Imam al-Hay who is unable to stand and it's hoped that this problem will be soon resolved for him then in his situation it's recommended that when he leads us praying sitting down it's recommended that we also pray behind him sitting down. The author he says And if a person is suffering from a medical issue whereby he has continual drops of urine or he has continual wind that he keeps passing or anything of that nature, then it's permitted for him to be an Imam as long as those behind him have similar issues. But if the people behind him do not have these similar issues, then it's not allowed for him to lead them in the Salah because they are considered of having more of a complete Tahara of being of a higher status. Um, Ibn Taymiyyah held that his Imamah is still valid uh, it's valid for him in this situation to lead anybody 
uh, whether they, that person has the same situation as him or whether a person is in complete good health because uh, there is a rule that many of the ulama they mention that whoever's prayer is valid for himself then it's valid for those who are praying behind him also so whoever prayer is valid for himself then it's valid for the people behind him to be followers of that person as an imam so the author said no the author said it's only uh, valid for somebody similar to him for this person to be imam and ibn taymiyyah he said rather he is excused and it's valid for others also the author may have mercy upon him he said if there is a person who is leading and he knows that he's in a state of hadith okay or he knows that he has najasa upon him then it's not allowed for him to lead the salah طيب. also with regards to this point is if one of the followers or some of the followers know that the imam is in a state where he doesn't have wudu or he's in a state where he has najasa upon him so an example of this could be that people they ate with an, a particular imam they ate camel meat with him and when the aqama was established they noticed that the imam he didn't go and make wudu and they held the hanbali opinion which is that camel meat breaks your wudu right so then praying behind this imam whilst knowing that uh, his wudu is broken wouldn't be valid for the followers and also if the imam himself knows that uh, his wudu is broken then it's not valid for him to lead the salah uh, and also if he has najasa on him طيب, if an imam is praying and he didn't know that he had najasa he only came to know a few minutes into his prayer if he's able to remove that najasa then his prayer is still valid for him he can remove the najasa if it doesn't take too many actions and he can carry on with his salah because this is what took place in the hadith of Ahmed uh, and Abi Dawood where the Prophet ﷺ was visited by Jibreel ﷺ while he was praying and told that he had some qadr, some filth on his shoes so the Prophet ﷺ took off his shoes the companions they also did the same following in the footstep of the Prophet ﷺ and the Prophet ﷺ continued with his salah showing that the salah was not invalidated by that so if somebody is an imam and he finds that he has an ajasa on his clothing or his shoes and he's able to remove that without too many actions then he should remove that and carry on with his salah the author he says that if the imam and the followers are unaware of the fact that he was uh, in a state of not having wudu or he had najas on his body this uh, the state of not knowing the situation stays until after the salah then the follow salah is going to be correct but not the salah of that ma'mum so an imam he leads people in salah and after he's finished the salah in making the adhkar after the salah saying astaghfirullah he realizes that subhanallah i prayed and i didn't have wudu or i prayed and there was najasa on my clothing so he tells the congregation that actually i prayed in a state of not being wudu then the congregation doesn't have to repeat their salah only the imam has to repeat their salah from the evidences showing this is the hadith in bukhari where the prophet is narrated by abu Huraira. the prophet spoke about uh, leaders that would come in the future for the muslims the prophet said 
فَإِنْ أَصَابُوا فَلَكُمْ وَإِنْ أَخْتَأُوا فَلَكُمْ وَعَلَيْهِمْ The Prophet ﷺ said there will be leaders that when they pray, they will make mistakes when they pray for you. Uh, if they pray correctly, then it's for you, meaning that your salah will be valid with them. If they pray incorrectly, فَإِنْ أَخْتَأُوا فَلَكُمْ وَعَلَيْهِمْ If they pray and they make mistakes in their salah, then it will be for them, meaning upon them to deal with. And with regards to yourselves, your salah will be valid and fine. And also Uthman radiallahu anhu and others from amongst the companions. An example of Uthman radiallahu anhu, he prayed once and he realized later that he was in a state of janaba. He forgot for whatever reason to make ghusl. So he repeated the salah and he didn't command those that were behind him to repeat the salah. And this effort of Uthman praying in a state of janaba and repeating the salah but not telling the people behind him to repeat is found in the musannaf of Imam Abdul Razak and Majd ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala, the grandfather of ibn Taymiyyah in Al-Muntaqa said it is authentic. Another riwayah pertaining to being unaware of the najasa only, not being unaware of having not having wudu. Okay, so another riwayah, another narration in the madhab of uh, Imam Ahmad held by Ibn Qudam and Ibn Taymiyyah as if that the person, the Imam was unaware that he had najasa, right? and then after the salah he became aware they hold that his salah is still valid why they say that be, because this is from bab al turuq and not min bab al-awamir they say this is from the category of turuq category of turuq means that this is this is from the things which you are supposed to avoid and it's not from the category of things which you are supposed to do in the sense of you have to fulfill them like you have to do wudu wudu is from bab al-awamir it's something which you have to do and so that which is from the category of turuq, which you have to leave off, okay, which is leaving off the najasa, uh, they say that if this is left forgetfully, then a person, it is overlooked for them. Like for example, a person in Ramadan, he's supposed to leave alone food and drink. But if forgetfully the person eats food and drink, then his act of worship is still valid, it's overlooked. Likewise here, if the person, the imam, he has najasa on his body, and he only came to realize after on his clothing or body, he only comes to realize after the Salah, then Imam Ibn Qudama and uh, Ibn Taymiyyah, they said according to their opinion that it's overlooked because it's from the category, the verb At-Turuq. It's from the category of those things which are supposed to be avoided and that which is supposed to be avoided, if it's done out of ignorance or forgetfulness, then it's overlooked. Any case, our author, he said that the Imam, if he has broken his wudu, or he has najasa on his body and he only comes to realize after the salah is finished then he has to repeat the salah but the followers they do not have to repeat the salah the author he says and these people that he's going to mention now them being the imam is also not valid right he said not the imam of the one who is ummi ummi is referring linguistically back to the mother the um so the person who is Ummi is like he was born uh, the day the mother gave birth to him, he's unable to speak. So the Ummi here is the one that hasn't the ability uh, to recite the Qur'an, to recite the Qur'an and in particular Surah Al-Fatiha. So the author he says, uh, And not the Imam who is an Ummi and he is the one that لا يحسن الفاتحة He's unable to memorize Surah Al-Fatiha. And some of them said not just memorization, it means unable to recite Surah Al-Fatiha correctly. So regardless of somebody has a, a PhD or a master's, 
if they're unable to memorize Surah Al-Fatiha or unable to recite it correctly with its akam of tajweed and makharij, then the person is considered to be an illiterate. Or the person makes idgham, he, he swallows certain letters whereupon those letters shouldn't be swallowed. Or he changes uh, a letter for another letter. Or he makes lahan whereby he changes the endings of uh, the words uh, and this changing of the endings from dhamma to fatha to kasra etc it changes the meaning of the ayah in surah al-fatiha so all of this is not allowed to be found in a person who wants to be imam why because in bukhari and muslim the prophet said la salata liman lam yaqra bi fatihatil kitab there's no prayer for the one who doesn't read the Surah Al-Fatiha, who is unable or doesn't read the Surah Al-Fatiha. So if the person cannot read Surah Al-Fatiha, then the person cannot obviously be an Imam for others. And going back to where the author, he said, أو يلحن فيها لحنا يحيل المعنى Or he makes a lahan, he makes a mistake pertaining to the grammar of the words in Surah Al-Fatiha. As for an example that uh, the ulama give, like Sheikh Fahad Al-Mutiri, in his explanation, he said an example is instead of saying "ihdina shirat al-mustaqim," "ihdina" with a khasa, with a kasra, he says "ahdina," "ahdina." He puts a fatha on the alif hamza. So what this does, it changes the meaning because "ihdina" means to guide us. Allah guide us. "Ahdina" means give us a gift. So it changes the meaning completely. So this is not allowed. The author he says, "Wa in qadra ala islahihi lam tasih salatuhu." If the person is able to correct his Surah Al-Fatiha, meaning that he has the ability, uh, the mental capacity, and he has a teacher available, uh, whether that be online or however that be, he has the ability to correct the Surah Al-Fatiha, and he doesn't do so, he doesn't bother, then his Salah is never going to be valid, subhanAllah, and nor is the one behind him. This is a real serious issue, brothers and sisters. We need to spend time correcting our Surah Al-Fatiha with a person who is proficient in teaching. Because without having the correct ability to recite Surah Al-Fatiha, the prayer is not valid. طيب. And this is based on uh, obvious evidences that we've mentioned before with the Prophet ﷺ said, whoever doesn't recite Surah Al-Fatiha, then he has no salah. And also the ulama, they say, مَا لَا يَتِمُ الْوَاجِبِ إِلَّا بِهِ فَهُوَ وَاجِبِ That the rule in uh, Surah Al-Fiqh, Taqwa'id Al-Fiqh, sorry, he says that, uh, the rule says that that by which the obligation is not achieved except by doing it, then that thing also becomes wajib. So here, the person is obligatory upon him to recite Surah Al-Fatiha, but he's unable to do so. However, he has the ability to learn and to better his Surah Al-Fatiha. So this obligation now becomes a wajib upon him, okay? Because it's part of the, uh, it's part of fulfilling the wajib of reciting Surah Al-Fatiha. So until he does it, he's considered to have left out a wajib. Okay, so his salah will not be valid. And it's disliked to have the one who is lahan as an imam. The lahan is the one who makes many mistakes continually in Surah Al-Fatiha. Okay, but if his mistake is a mistake that doesn't change the meaning of Al-Fatiha, like instead of saying Alhamdu, he says Alhamdi, he puts a kasra instead of a dhamma, and this doesn't change the meaning then in this situation, it's makru for him to be an imam. It's disliked, but not haram. However, if he does something which changes the meaning Surah Al-Fatiha, then in this situation, uh, his being the imam is haram and not just makru. 
And also if he has mistakes outside of Surah Al-Fatiha, but they don't change the meaning of the, uh, the verses, then it's makruh and not haram for him to be an Imam. So the author said the one who is lahan, who has many mistakes, okay, which are not major, they're minor mistakes, but he has them often, then it's disliked, it's makruh for this person to be an Imam. The author, he says, and also, وَالْفَعْفَاءِ وَالْتَمْتَامِ الْفَعْفَاءِ is makruh for the person who is fa'fa. It's the one who, when he recites al-f, uh, the when he recites the fa, he status on the fa, or when he recites the ta, he status on the ta in a particular verse. So this person who has this uh, inability or problem, uh, then it's makruh for him to lead the salah because it would be some kind of repetition of the letter of fa or repetition of the letter ta. And also the one who is unable to pronounce correctly uh, in the sense of the makharij, bringing out the haruf from the correct place. Like for example, the dad in waladdalin, he says it as a dal. He puts it as a dal, which is from the front of the mouth rather than the side of the mouth. Side of the mouth. Or he says al instead of al Okay, so he makes these mistakes. Then hereupon it's also makruh. Uh, in the madhab and according to the author. However, Imam Ibn Qadama held as another opinion that it's not just makruh, it's in fact in these situations where the person says dhal instead of dhal, uh, then it changes the meaning in some of the verses, so it becomes haram for the person. And the reason that the ulama of the madhab held that it's not haram, they said that if you were to ask the person when he's reciting walad-dhalin and he says walad-dhalin, he recited it with a va. If you were to ask him what was his intention, what was he intending to say, he would say, I was intending to say that particular word there. And they said, because he's not intending to say a different word, uh, based upon that, the recitation is still valid in, in situations where it's very difficult to di distinguish between some of the letters. Dorothy says, And it's also disliked for a person to be an imam of a woman who is not related to him, whether it be just one woman or a group of women that are not related to him, and there's no men present amongst them. So he said, Herein is makruh. Why? Because Ahmed and Nisa'i, they collect the hadith with the Prophet said, that a man, whenever he's alone with a woman, then the third of them will be shaitan. So whether the author is saying whether you're alone with the woman or whether it's a group of women and there's no other men there, then it's a makruh, it's disliked for you to lead them in salah because there will be fitna, there will be temptation. Sheikh Fahad al-Matiri, he said, if it's a situation like in today where you have separate doors and you have walls separating them, and even they will be on different floors, etc. I said in this situation, it's not disliked, and Allah knows best. Also, also what is disliked, what is makruh, the author says, Or a situation where the person is praying for a people, he's leading a people in salah, and most of them, they dislike him being the imam. Why? In Tirmidhi, the Prophet is narrated from Abi Umama that he said, That three categories of people, their salah will not be lifted above their heads in terms of it will not be rewarded. The runaway slave until he returns to his master. And also a woman who went to bed 
in a state whilst her husband was displeased with her over something which was legitimate displeasure. And also the third of them is an Imam for a people and they dislike him being the Imam. But the ulama, they explain that this dislike for uh, him being the Imam has to be a legitimate dislike based on the Sharia. So it cannot be that this Imam, he's always advising the people to do good things and leave alone bad things. So the people are fairly evil. So based upon that, they dislike him to the, be the Imam. Rather, it has to be a dislike, which is a clear dislike, like he's a, a known liar or a cheater. And based upon that, they dislike him. And also it has to be a dislike for more than half the congregation. So if less than half the congregation dislike him, then the rule is not applied. If more than half of the congregation dislike him, then the rule is applied that he cannot lead in the Salah. And you notice here a beautiful point that Sheikh Muttalaq Jarsal mentioned in his explanation, is that you notice that the Sharia, it does so many things in trying to bring about harmony in the Masjid, in trying to encourage people to come to the Masjid and in to enjoy the Salah with Khushu. And this is one of those things that is to try and ensure that there is an Imam that the people are happy with. And other things, for example, the Sharia tells us to avoid eating raw garlic when we go to the Masjid, so people are not disturbed by the uh, the repungent smell that can come out of the mouths of some people, etc. And so many other things, like it's encouraged to clean the Masjid. So all of these things the Sharia puts in place to beautify in our hearts the want to go to the Masjid and the experience that we have in the Masjid. The author says, وَتَصِحُوا إِمَامَةُ وَلَدِ زِنَا وَالْجُنْدِي إِذَا سَلِمَ دِينُهُمَا And it's, um, it's um, legitimate for one to lead the Salah if he was born out of wedlock, the child from zina, and also if one is a jundi. So with regards to the jundi, uh, this is the soldier or the people of security forces like police, etc. In previous times, the fuqaha used to look upon them, the scholars used to look upon them as being somebody who is um, people of supporters of oppression, like many are now today, sadly also. So it was always dislike for them to lead in salah. So the author, he's saying that these two people, that the person who's born out of wedlock, born out of zina, or the jundi, it's permissible for them to lead the salah if their deen is found to be intact, if they are found to be practicing the religion correctly. And this the author mentioned because uh, other fuqaha, they say, no, it's not allowed. And uh, with regards to the one who is born out of zina, uh, Allah says, وَلَا تَزِرُ وَازِرَةٌ وِزْرَ أُخْرَى and it's not put upon a person a sin for the sin of another person meaning just because his parents committed a sin he doesn't have to carry that sin so as long as he has the abilities that we mentioned previously with regards to uh, leading the salah then it's perf perfectly fine for him to be able to lead the salah and also correct for a person who's in this situation to lead the salah is one the author says if there's a situation where a person is an Imam and he's leading Salah and for him the Salah is in the correct time. But the ones who are praying behind him are people who are making Qadda, they're making the Salah up. Or the opposite situation, the Imam himself is making a Salah up and the ones behind him are praying in the correct time. So for example the Imam he comes to the Masjid, he wants to pray Salat al-Asr and he's praying it in the correct time. But the followers behind him, the two or three of them, they realized that they didn't pray uh, Salat al-Asr yesterday with wudu after the Imam may have mentioned something to them. So they repeat their wudu and for them now 
it's going to be um, actually that's an incorrect uh, example let me give you another example so the Imam he uh, no actually that's correct yeah so the Imam uh, forgive me he's praying the Salah in its time Ada okay he's praying the Salah in its time and the ones behind him they're going to pray the Salah that they forgot to pray from yesterday Salat al-Asr so the Imam is praying Salat al-Asr in time and the ones behind him are praying Salat al-Asr from yesterday for whatever reason they forgot to pray it so this situation it's valid and also if the Imam in an opposite situation the Imam is one who forgot to pray Salat al-Asr from yesterday so he's making it up now and the ones behind him are praying Salat al-Adha meaning they're praying Salat al-Asr in the correct time so it's valid in both of these situations why because the salah is the same salah but the thing which is differing is that the times for that salah are differing however it's the same salah so in this situation it's allowed to pray as an imam in that particular situation the author he says but not for this one la muftaridun bimutanaffil it's not allowed for the imam to be uh yani praying nafil salah and behind him people are praying uh, obligatory salah so for example if there is a second jama'ah for the imam a person in a place where people want him to lead the salah whilst he's already prayed the salah so he goes ahead and leads the salah for him it's a nafal and for the ones behind him it's going to be obligatory the author is saying that this is not allowed okay why because in the hadith in Bukhari in Muslim the Prophet said that verily the imam has been made to follow so do not differ with him so if the Imam he makes a ruku then you make a ruku and if he says then you say and he makes a jude you make a jude and if he prays sitting down then all of you pray sitting down so based on this hadith in Bukhari and Muslim the humble scholars they said that the Prophet said he's made to be followed so don't differ with him and from the greatest of differing with the Imam is that you differ in the intentions so for you it's the intention is you're praying Fard Salah okay and the Imam his intention is that he's praying a Nafal Salah so in this situation you cannot lead the people or the people cannot pray behind you because this is the, this is the worst type of differing the differing of intentions and this was mentioned by Sheikh Mutlaq Jasr in his explanation. Tayyib. Another riwayah from Imam Ahmad, another narration in the Madhab and held by Ibn Qudama, Ibn Taymiyyah and Ibn Rajab, uh, these Imams, these great Imams, they said it is allowed based upon the same hadith. They use the same hadith to say it's allowed and I'd like you to try and answer why, how did they use the same hadith to say it is allowed for the difference of intentions uh, to be present when praying either as a imam or as follows how did they come to this conclusion question to yourselves exactly so that's a clear example barakallahu feek we have the example in sahih muslim of uh, muad ibn jabal who led the people in prayer but i was asking what is the actual fiqh uh, here from the same hadith why is it allowed from a fiqh perspective not just because of the fact that muad did it which is a valid answer and it's a very strong proof but from the same hadith what is what is the fiqh what they say barakallahu feekum may Allah bless you all what they say is that if you look the 
after the Prophet said, Don't differ with your Imam. What did he mention thereafter? Thereafter, he mentioned outward actions. So when the Imam makes ruku, you also make, 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 make ruku. Do not differ in the act of ruku. If the Imam makes sujood, you also make sujood. Don't differ in the act of sujood, etc. So they said, Imam ibn Qudab, Ibn Taymiyyah, Ibn Rajab, and others who held the second opinion that it is allowed, they said it's not pertaining, the hadith is not pertaining to actions of the intention. Okay, the intention is not what is being referred to in this hadith. The differing that is being referred to is the outward actions. That the outward actions have to be the same as the Imam is doing. And also like the brother mentioned, Fahad Barakallah fi, is that in Sahih Muslim, uh, Mu'ad, he would lead his people after praying Isha with the Prophet Sallallahu as Fard. He would go back to his people and lead them. For him it would be Nafal and for his people it would be Fard. The author moves on. And says, And it's not permitted also to pray, uh, for example, the Imam is praying Dhuhr and the people behind him are praying uh, Asr. Because here in this situation, the Imam, if he's praying Asr and those who are praying behind him are praying Dhuhr, then the prayer itself differs. Whereas in the previous uh, two points before that we mentioned that the Imam he allowed for one who is praying Asr in its time uh, to be the Imam for those who are praying Asr but they're praying the Asr that they're making up from yesterday because it was the same Salah but the only difference was that the timing was different for, for both of them, the Imam and the followers. Whereas here the author is saying that you cannot lead the, uh, the Salah, Salatul Asr if the people behind you are praying Salatul Dhuhr because the prayer itself differs. And um, this is the opinion of the Madhab. However, Ibn Taymiyyah, he allowed it. And uh, he said, as long as the actions do not differ. For example, you cannot pray Maghrib behind somebody who's praying uh, Isha. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. And with that, we'll come to an end. We'll conclude. And I ask Allah that he reward us immensely for this effort and give us the ability to understand and to memorize and to implement. Uh, I hope that Allah, Ramadan is ended for us with Allah forgiving us and keeping us in good iman and health. Wajazakumullah khair. If you have anything you need to ask, then peace, feel free. Wassalamu alaikum.